Pastor Dan and worship team. Oh, it's so nice to hear my husband singing. Oh, <laughs> thank you for leading worship today. And worship team, thank you. Um, Steve is an, on a month's journey in Japan, and we're so happy for him and Jan and their family. They can be there. And we're also so thankful for those of you who stay. <laughs> Those of you who go and those of you who stay, thankful for each. <laughs> so friends, good morning on this beautiful day. Um, we're going to be looking at a very short passage today in scripture. Um, I'm going to try to do it justice, but it's one of those passages that um, some, it's actually easier to walk away after reading it with sort of like the opposite intent than the text uh, the, the purpose of the text is. It's easy to actually walk away and actually walk away completely unmoved and unchanged by it because it's hard to feel the pinch in the story. And the story really comes home in the pinch. So I'm going to try to do a little pinch later on. I don't know if it's going to work or not, uh, but really the pull of this story is in the pinch. So we're going to get to the pinch later and you can be like, I didn't feel any pinch at all. And I'll be like, great, you know, <laughs> come back next week. <laughs> we'll try one then. Uh, so we're going to be in the, in the book of Luke, chapter 18, and we've been going through a prayer series on, um, a series on prayer with the rest of our denomination. Pastor Cheryl is actually currently with some of our other friends uh, in the Evangelical Covenant Church, and she's taking a class right now on um, Evangelical Church, Covenant Church history and theology. Or maybe that's in the fall. Now I'm confused. It's in the fall. Okay, she's taking a class right now. Yay for seminary. <laughs> So she's away this week um, with the other pastors you're here, and we're glad to be with you. And um, we're joining the rest of our churches that are focusing on prayer. And uh, next week, Pastor Dan will be uh, closing up the series with us. But for now, we're going to be looking in Luke. Now, before we look at the passage at hand, I just want to give some context. I had this wonderful professor in seminary who always said that context is queen, which I really appreciated. It kind of helps us understand a little bit more. It helps us into the into the world um, of the text. And in Luke, Luke uh, was a writer, he was a doctor, and he wrote both Luke and he wrote Acts. So he kind of brings them together into one. If you ever take a seminary course, they'll just call it Luke-Acts, as if it's one word, Luke-Acts. And um, what's great about the way Luke writes about prayer is that we can see his teachings from Jesus on prayer, as well as the early church's experience of prayer. He's the same guy writing. And so it's kind of unique to see how prayer in Jesus' life informs the church and how Luke kind of weaves these together. So for Luke, um, the Gospel of Luke, there are more stories in it of Jesus praying than any other gospel book. There's more stories of Jesus praying. I believe there's like nine different prayers that Jesus prays, and seven of them are only found in the book of Luke. And then there's a couple stories Jesus tells on prayer, like parables Jesus tells on prayer that are also only seen in the book of Luke. And one of them is the one we're looking at today. We also see Jesus' life really wrapped up in prayer. Everything from his conception to when he was baptized. Luke is the only writer who, who writes that Jesus was praying as he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit fell on him. He was praying in that moment. Luke is the one that weaves all these important elements of Jesus' life in with prayer, all the way to when Jesus is crucified and Jesus is praying again and again, Lord, have mercy on them. Forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's a prayer only 
seen in Luke, tied up with Jesus' life. The prayer we only see in Luke is the prayer of release as Jesus commends his spirit to God. So Luke is really filled, fills Jesus' moments and shows us how Jesus is always praying, always connected to God in prayer. And so we're going to be looking at one of these stories only seen in Luke today from Luke chapter 18. Hopefully that gives us a little bit of context. And before we look at the story, um, because the, the chapter actually has a story right before it, and it's also a story about prayer. It's a fantastic parable about prayer. We could totally have preached that message today. I don't know why we picked this one, but we did. <laughs> when I say we, I mean me. I picked it. So. <laughs> but I can't let go of it either because it's right before this one in the passage. So let me just briefly tell you uh, the story right before this one. It's a parable about prayer, and it's set in a scene of injustice. Something wrong is being done. There is harm being done. There's this widow, and she has an adversary who is out to get her. So she goes to the court, to the place where she should receive justice, except the judge is a really corrupt judge and doesn't want to give it to her. And Jesus is likening prayer to this picture, this picture of this woman who is persistent and keeps calling out for justice, until finally... Um, nevertheless, because she persisted, uh, the judge relents and grants her justice. And sort of the picture that Jesus is sharing there of prayer is that prayer has the potential to make things that are not right, right. Prayer has the power to take situations where there's some kind of wrong being done and transform it into the right thing being done. Places where there is injustice, be able to turn them into places where there are justice. So that's sort of the picture we see right before this one. It's of a situation where something is wrong that needs to be made right. And in prayer, Jesus shares with us, there's the power to make it right. Now, the story we look at right now, we're just about to pull up, isn't a story about a situation where something's wrong that needs to be made right, but it's a story about two people who come to God needing something. They need to be made right. And out of these two people, these two people praying, we have two different prayers. We also have two different prayers, right? Two different people praying. So we're going to be looking at each of them, these two people that both need to be made right. We're going to look at a little bit at them, the, their, the person, the person of them, and then at their prayer and see what we can learn from it. Because one of these prayers was transformative. One of these prayers was effective. One of these prayers, when the prayer walked away, they walked away with a light heart. They walked away more connected to God and others, and one didn't. So we know God has the power to make unjust and wrong things right. Now, this is the story. God has the power to make people who are not right, right. But it's up to the prayer. So we're going to look at that in the heart of the one who's praying it. So this is Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 9 through 14. This Luke 18, 9 through 14. I think it should work if I click on it. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Oh, I don't think it works again. I'm going to read it out loud. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of everything I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This, friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, even though this is a parable that Jesus shares, it's a short, pithy story meant to give a certain message across. It's one I think we can kind of imagine happening, right? It's very picturable. These two people, both in the sanctuary and the temple, praying their different prayers. The camera kind of zooms in on one, and I feel like actually he's still going. The camera could stay with him. He's saying, I'm not like other people. Thank you that I tithe of everything I get. And I have, the, I have the feeling that he just keeps rambling on. If you notice, the text there just kind of stops abruptly. He's probably still going. <laughs> but it just zooms over to the other guy, the one with the very simple prayer. So it's very picturable, if you can picture it with me. Now, the thing is that within the context of this story, these are two very different people praying. And we all know that, you know, our identity isn't, you know, tied up in our job, that you can have a job and your identity is different from it. But the truth is some jobs seem more identity forming than others. Some jobs you actually have really strong feelings about and feelings about the people who hold those jobs. And Jesus specifically picked a story with two people where the jobs they had would be one that would give, give a feeling inside. One where you would have a gut feeling or a gut reaction to. And it's hard because in the, the first century world, uh, you know, we're so far removed from that in our 21st century world uh, that it's kind of hard to feel some of where the pinch of this story gets us. So now, um, if we had to think, though, about jobs we might have a strong feeling about, um, invite you just to kind of think about that for a minute. Where might be some jobs in the world uh, and I might have feelings about the people who have those jobs or who work there? Might it be a lobbyer for the weapons industry? Or might it be a, um, a creditor who calls people to let them know they're behind on their payments? Might it be a campaign manager for that particular person who's running for office? Might it be a doctor at Planned Parenthood or even a pastor? The two people praying in our parable for today, they're identified by their work. Their jobs weren't neutral jobs, but ones people would have feelings about. So let's look at the first one. The first prayer was a Pharisee. Now Pharisees, um, we'll get to the list in just a second, but I just want you to close your eyes and picture this Pharisee. In the world of the first century, they were a conspicuous group of scholarly Jews. Josephus, the historian, said that they had a reputation for very, being very meticulous observers of the ancestral laws, and they deeply valued their family's history, their, their people's history. They valued their freedom to be able to practice their religion. So depending where you stood, you know, depending on your religious practice, you might see the Pharisees as holy or close to God. Or depending on your experience in the first century world, you might see them as sticklers or traditionalists. Now I invite you, if you were in the sanctuary for this parable, who might be in the category for you of this Pharisee? 
Standing in the place of this religious leader, who might you imagine? Is there a particular pastor or preacher? Is there a particular stream of the church? Particular someone in your mind, it's okay if it's me, <laughs> would stand in the place of this Pharisee. I want you to picture them in your mind. Do you have some picture maybe of who it would be? Maybe? Okay. It's okay if it's not perfect. Okay, now we're going to move to the second prayer, the tax collector. Now, tax collectors um, were people of Jewish ancestral origin who worked for the Roman occupiers to collect taxes from the Jewish people. And they could ask as much taxes as they wanted. They weren't necessarily paid a salary. They would keep whatever extra they asked. So it meant that they could charge quite a lot so they could keep the extra. That's how they basically fundraise their income. But it meant that they were seen as traitors. They were seen as the people who are dangerous to our values. They're seen as people who are not like us. They are different. They are other. They're sort of person that would raise red flags. People that they'd say, I, I don't want to eat with them. I wouldn't want to be friends with that person. If you were in the sanctuary, in this parable that Jesus is telling, who might be in this category for you? Someone whose job represents something you find threatening to your values, your way of life, the future that you hope will come to pass. Who might be in this category for you? So someone who flies a sort of flag on their car or on their yard, someone who works for a specific kind of organization, let this person come to mind. Do you have a person in your mind? No, it's going to be different for all of us. Okay, so we have the Pharisee and we have the tax collector. And they stood by themselves as they prayed in Jesus' parable. I think the Pharisee did this because he thought he was too good for God, whereas the tax collector felt he was too bad for God. So they're each standing by each other, by themselves. So can you picture them in your mind? in the first century world, but then maybe your own, uh, your own picture of who the Pharisee might be, who the tax collector might be. Okay, good. Let's not beat a dead horse. Let's move on. All right. So now let's look at their prayers. You ready? Look at their prayers. And I think if this doesn't work, Stacy, I'm just going to say next slide and we'll figure it out together. So the Pharisee's prayer, let's first of all look at that. The Pharisee's prayer is very self-unaware. It's very defensive. Lord, I thank you. I am not like those people. That's so defensive. It's like you're anticipating that God's got something on you, so you got to remind God that you're better. I'm better. That's so self-unaware. The whole thank you, I'm not like those people. I mean, can that be any more tone deaf? It's not a self-aware person. And it's very closed off. This Pharisee does not ask God for anything. This Pharisee does not even thank God for anything God has done. In fact, they're thanking God for something they think they've done. <laughs> so it's very closed off and self-congratulatory. It really encourages comparison. The whole prayer is about me versus them. And it's directed to a God who is a scorekeeping God. Because why else would they be so defensive? Why else would they feel the need to remind God that they're better than them? Why else would they feel the need to remind God of all the things they're doing well? In the end, the end result is just words. The end result is just words. Nothing much. They go home. Nothing has changed between them and God. Nothing has changed between them and the way they view other people. They go home unchanged. Let's look at the tax collector's prayer. 
the tax collector's prayer is we're also going to fill in our notes, uh, the acronym in our notes really quickly. We're going to go ahead and hit that slide. Tax collector's prayer is self-aware and non-defensive. The tax collector's prayer is next, E. We'll go to that one. It encourages openness and honesty. The very fact that the tax collector is able to be grief-filled before God, whenever you share grief with someone, you open a part of yourself to them. This tax collector is opening themselves to God. This tax collector, their prayer eliminates comparison. There's no comparison there. It's just about me. <laughs> God have mercy on me, a sinner. And lastly, it's directed not to a scorekeeping God, but it's directed to merciful God. It keeps hoping in merciful God. So that spells seek. Can we all say seek? Seek. Yes, the end result is that uh, they're justified before God. Not just words, but justified before God. They walk away and they are lighter. They feel more in harmony with God. They are in alignment with God. There's reconciliation there. They've encountered the mystery and the goodness, but the religious insider goes away, closed off, and congratulating themselves that they're doing so well. Now, out of these prayers, I think if we had to hold a poll right now, we would all get 100%, because we would say, which of these prayers should we seek? And we would say, how many of us would seek the Pharisees' prayer? And I guarantee you, no one will vote for that one, <laughs> right? If we were to say, which of these prayers should we seek? I think everyone would say, the tax collector's prayer is kind of open and shut, right? We, we know that. This is the prayer we want to seek. We're seeking, um, seeking this, self-awareness, honesty and openness, eliminating comparison, and hoping in God. So where's the pinch? Where's the pinch? We'll get to the pinch in just a second. I want to draw your attention before we get to the pinch, just to what God this prayer is being directed at. I remember many years ago when I read C.S. Lewis's, um, this, one, this one book where he, um, I'll remember the name of it in a second. This is the problem of sharing examples that come to mind as they come to mind because then you don't have all the information for them. And you're like, what was that book I read? Anyway, you'll remember, you'll know it in a second. But basically it's written by like an older demon to a younger demon that he's mentoring. And one of the things he encourages the younger demon to do is to distort the person's prayers that this demon is supposed to be misleading. Distort the person's prayers so they're no longer praying for their mother, but they're praying just for a tyrant in their mind that they've constructed as their mother. So when they pray for their mom, the prayers are like just about a nonsensical made-up being because they've so constructed something in their mind that isn't even the person they're praying for. Uh, Dan, do you remember the name of that book? Screw tape letters. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's fantastic for the win. Um, screw tape letters. So in a similar way, we see here that the, the, the Pharisee, they're praying to scorekeeping God, to a God who doesn't really exist. But the tax collector is praying to merciful God. And this is what a word, this, merci, this idea of mercy, is one that has really strong roots in the Hebrew culture and in the Hebrew language. Roots that maybe we might not um, be able to pick up on uh, in our own world. Because when I think of mercy, I think of, I have a very specific picture in mind, let me share it with you. When my sister and I were little, I have one sister, she's uh, four and a half years younger than me, and when we were very little and we were on road trips in the car, there wasn't much to keep us entertained. Uh, we didn't have any iPads or anything like that back then, but we had pads of paper, um, which made us car sick to ride in, so we didn't. 
So one thing we, we did, we came up with this game called Kick Fight. And the way Kick Fight works, um, has very specific rules, is that we each sat on the far corner of the Jeep, and we had like those bench seats. And so we would each sit on the far corner of the Jeep with our, our back to the wall, and then we would stretch our little legs out on the bench, and we would kick each other. <laughs> it was a great game. <laughs> Now, like I said, there were rules, like, you know, you couldn't kick anyone's torso or their feet or their hands or their head. Or their, I mean, you could kick their feet, but not their hands or their head, right? It was like hands off, or I should say feet off. <laughs> uh, and you couldn't kick too hard, because if you kick too hard and they got hurt and they cried and they don't want to play anymore, then your parents would be like, what are you doing back there anyway? And then you got to play a new game. So we had to be really careful. You had to kick hard, but not too hard. Kick just the legs. And finally, you'd do that until it got really, really uncomfortable and it kind of started to hurt. And at which point in time, you would say, have mercy, 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 have mercy. And as soon as you begged for mercy, the person had to stop kicking, and it meant you lost. <laughs> if you ask for mercy, you'll be granted it, but it means you lose. <laughs> The game is over, and you did not win it. And even though I'm so much older than my sister, I just have to say for the record, she, we, she beat me so many times. She went on to play like rugby in high school, and she's, she's just so strong and very fierce. So I had to say way more than once, mercy, <laughs> and lose, and I hate to lose. So somehow in my mind, I've associated asking for mercy with losing. Or asking for mercy as asking for someone to stop hurting you. Don't hurt me. And I'm not sure about you what comes to mind when you think of mercy. But sometimes like when we watch war movies, they might say things like, show no mercy. I'm like, did you have any mercy to begin with? You're out there with guns to kill each other. Where's the mercy? It's like, you're going to show some now? You know, or they take a bunch of prisoners captive and they're like, uh, you know, the people are saying, you know, I'm, I'm under your mercy, you know, have mercy on me. It's not like a great relationship. You don't want to draw great connotations from a relationship between captor and captive. So sometimes when I hear the word mercy, or I hear God is being merciful in scripture. I kind of have a tainted view of it. It's a little twisted. And so one of the things I learned about mercy that really blew me away comes from the Jewish tradition. What I love about it is how this word comes about in their culture and then also what it means for them. Because mercy is not necessarily an emotion or something that change, although it involves emotion, but mercy is an attribute of God that does not change. Now, in the Jewish language, if we can go ahead to the next slide, um, it has a root, you know, those three Hebrew letters, and that is the consonants, because Hebrew is written uh, with consonants only, and then you have these, um, these other sort of like jots and tittles that will tell you uh, what, what the, um, the vowels will be. So these right here are the three consonants of the word mercy, the word raham. It shares the exact same three consonants with another word that we might not always anticipate. We can go ahead and show that. That word is rachem, which means womb. These words linguistically are almost identical. Mercy and womb. And as we look at God, the merciful one, all throughout the Old Testament, who reaches out to God's people with mercy, it's always within the context of love and compassion and protection and shielding and security. It's a word that, yes, has a lot of emotion in it, but it's a quality of God that does not go away. 
That God's mercy isn't something that you have to manipulate to win, or if you ask for it, you somehow lose, but rather God's mercy is tied in with God's parenting, tied in with the way that God takes a hold of God's people and does not let them go. The prophet Isaiah writes about God as the the womb-like one, the one who carries them and holds on to their salvation in Isaiah 46. I'm going to go ahead and paraphrase this. Calling God's people this, you who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, tell them, even until your old age and until you have gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear you. I will carry and I will save. This is a picture the prophet picks of God as saving God, of God as merciful God. It's a picture of God bearing us and carrying us, much like a mother would, the child in her womb. Whenever we zoom out and look all throughout the Old Testament, whether it be in Isaiah or Jeremiah or Lamentations or the Psalms, uh, or throughout the, the Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, we see that whenever God dispenses mercy, whenever God shares mercy, it's because God is showing God's proclivity for protection. God's proclivity to be compassionate and to deal with us in love. So today, when I read this prayer of the tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I see that this tax collector knows something very special about God and is calling on God in a way that describes the one true God, not a God of their imagination or of their fears, but something very precious to who God is. This is the effective prayer. It's directed to God who hears. It's directed to God who, whose very nature is inclined to be merciful. Now, I did promise you a pinch, didn't I? The pinch is that the person who prays this prayer, connecting with God's mercy, somehow on a gut level understanding who God is, the person that prays this is cast in a very different role than me, and then maybe even from you. If you're here today or maybe listening to this podcast uh, months from now, or if you're here with us online, chances are you are a little closer to the person who's read the scriptures and knows what they say and how you've been taught to follow them. Chances are you're closer to the Pharisee, to the religious leader, the, the insider. Changes are you're closer to them than a tax collector. And I'm speaking to me most of all, because I'm the most Pharisaic of all. I've been taught ever since I was a little kid. I did all the training I could in Bible school and seminary. I know many scriptures, although there's probably more I could know. I am the ultimate insider. I am the Pharisee. I invite you now, for each of you that may be a little bit more of an insider, than a quote-unquote outsider, I invite you to picture that person that you put in your mind as the tax collector, the person who is a threat to your values, because they're the person who's teaching you this prayer. They might be a drag queen puffing a cigarette right off their shift from lip-syncing at the club. He might be a MAGA hat-wearing gun shop owner. Who is that person to you? 
because they are teaching you to pray. On an elemental level, they have connected with the merciful God. And they are made right. They are justified. Their prayer has the power to heal us. Now maybe you're here today and you've never been the religious insider. You felt judged by them before, maybe compared left and right, never felt like you were good enough. You didn't know enough. You always felt like you were a little bit on the outside for whatever reason, but you're here. You're either in this room, you're listening online, you're listening to a podcast, and you're here not because of the insider. You're not here to see the Pharisee. You're here because there's something about the sanctuary that calls you. Something about this divine mystery that is bringing you near. And you know that there is forgiveness and joy and all of God's goodness somehow for you too. Maybe even especially for you. Maybe you're here because you want, you want God to co-write your story with you. Or you just need someone to heal you and lift your burdens, give you hope and a future. Maybe you're here today and the only prayer you have left to pray, the only prayer you have the energy to pray is a short one because you've prayed all the other ones. It's God have mercy on me, a sinner. If that's you today, thank you for being our teacher. Thank you for praying this so we can learn from you and pray with you. Friends, in a couple minutes, we're going to get ready to come to the table. And I'm reminded of the words of um, the priest and the, the author, Thomas Merton. And he said that all of us, he says that all of us, our bodies are made of broken bones. Sort of a poetic statement, but I think it means to say that all of us know what pain is like. We also know what inflicting pain is like. All of us come and we are a mixture of sinner and saint, maybe a little bit of insider and outsider, a little bit of Pharisee and tax collector in us little bit of love and fear, kindness and unkindness. As humans, we come and we're, we're a mixture, a work in progress. And this right here at the table of Jesus is where all of us, no matter who we are, however much a mixture or a caricature, where we're come and we're invited to the God who gives and the God who forgives. We're invited into the womb of the merciful one, the one who hears every prayer, the one who's moved to respond whenever anyone asks for mercy, because that's just who God is. I invite you as we get ready to come to the table, you can picture now uh, Jesus at his last supper and he's there surrounded by a lot of friends. He's surrounded by uh, 12 disciples, we know the women who, who followed Jesus and were his disciples, chances are they were there too. They probably helped bankroll the dinner. <laughs> and also present there is Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, the insider slash outsider. He too is invited to the table. So friends, as we get invited to come, I invite you to let, let the tax collector be your teacher, to not be afraid to seek the effective prayer, the one who reaches out to God asking for mercy. Always sure that when you ask for mercy, God will give it. The one who isn't afraid to come to God's table with all those other people too. 
Because sometimes we think we, we take communion and we're surrounded by, you know, good Christians. Yet the truth of the matter is we are surrounded by bad Christians and by all sorts of people too. Because <laughs> all are welcome, right? It wasn't just the great disciples that were invited. It was also Judas. So we're all invited here. Jesus bids us come and find mercy. Will we be able to ask for it? That's up to us. Let's pray. Merciful and loving God, you who give radically of God's life and hospitality, you who give and forgive, thank you for inviting us to your table to come to be fed. Thank you for inviting us into the, this picture of the, these two people praying, um, one who walks away unchanged and isolated and one who walks away aligned with you. I thank you that it is a parable because I don't want this to ever happen. I don't want us ever to be like that insider who walks away isolated. Instead, Lord, help us to learn praying the prayer that maybe not our best friend would be praying, praying the prayer of the person who makes us feel uncomfortable, praying the prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We come to you now, to all of who we are, Thankful that you do not turn us away, but welcome us to come and find goodness. We pray all our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.